what do we believe about Jesus? I mean, that is the you know front center question that every every person needs to answer in this world. You know, what Christian or not, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? And from that point, who he is, we begin to understand more and more about what he did, why he did things, how he did things. You know, the whys and, and the questions that we don't always get. But it has to start with who he is. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Do you know that what you believe to be true concerning Jesus is paramount if you are to live truly to your created purpose, which is to be the very image of God? Throughout church history, there's been a debate over just who Jesus is and therefore just what his role is to be in the believer's life. Connor Patterson is going to tackle this issue in this second episode of our church history series. And I know it's been a while since we've heard from him, and that's because he's our camp director, so he's been very busy with that responsibility. And even though camp is over with and Bible school has started, I wanted to give him a little bit of time to get his feet under him before asking him to do another episode. So without any further ado, here is Connor leading us in another study in church history. One of the classes that I've been uh, privileged in taking over when uh, Kelly transitioned away from his hill was one of his classes that he taught me, and that was church history. Left uh, a huge mark on my my mind, my heart. I loved history growing up, and uh, now I, I can merge two things that I love together, Jesus and history, and, and see how this has played out throughout the years and, and how it in some ways is playing out today. So I wanted to continue on in, in um, a little church history mini class. I don't know what, I don't know what we're calling it really, but it's just a little thing that I, uh, I wanted to continue to, uh, go through and, and some different parts of history that I just find incredible how God has so sovereignly and, and faithfully worked for his bride and preserving us to be faithful and true and how we can see that today. And there's just so much application here. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to keep on going down this road. And I wanted to pick up um, from the last time that we were talking about with persecutions of the faithful in the early church, uh, we were we were looking at uh, particular attention to Ignatius and and Polycarp, and I want to move a couple steps forward in in history, not that many years down the road, but a dramatic shift in in history, going from you know the church being a small but faithful people, and the result of that persecution from the Romans, persecutions from the Jews, persecution seemingly from everywhere, and and the Christians just hiding out in the catacombs, you know, meeting where where the dead are just to have fellowship together. Um, all of a sudden, in not that many years later, you know, a man comes on the scene by the name of Constantine, and, and I already told Kelly the next the next uh, episode I'd like to do is, is on Constantine, so um, more on that you know, him to come, but he comes on the scene and he does something pretty dramatic. And I think probably one of the greatest turning points in history. And he, he announces that, you know what, we're going to tolerate all religions and more specifically to that, we're going to make sure that Christians have all the things that they've lost and had destroyed and, and been uh, taken from them. We're going to give that back. And so it shows particular attention to the church and then goes on to say, and I myself am a Christian and I'm a follower of this way of Jesus. And so very quickly, the church moves out of the catacombs and right front and center on the center stage within the empire. Now, because how quickly that happened, there were many who now find themselves, you know, walking around freely in the public square talking about Jesus, but many of them 
still bearing the marks, literally, and the scars of of the persecutions that happened not that many days, you know, before all this. Literal reminders of, of what they believed and the cost it was to follow Christ, uh, marked literally on on their bodies. And so many of those received a call um, to meet at a little town outside or within what was what's today called Turkey, and uh, there's, a, there's a little town called Nicaea, and they were supposed to assemble on May 20th, 325. And so rather than sneaking around, you know, using the, the back doors to, you know, get to these places, now they're, they've had a, a paid, all, all expenses paid trip, you know, in comfort to travel to this city in which the emperor has called together all of the um, church leaders within the Roman Empire. We needed to have a council, he declares. And I think it's interesting, it, it comes not from the church. Um, it actually comes from the imperial side of uh, Rome. And so he calls them together not to share horror stories of the persecution, but to remember the one in whom they were scarred for. And they really needed to sort out at this council here, in this great moment of history, who is Jesus? And therefore, what is true of the actions that he did while on earth? while he was here. So who he is, what he did, we need to sort out Jesus. Um, and if we could just take a little, you know, step back, this, this is baby, these, these are baby steps for the church, you know, about 300 years old, approximately here. Um, they've just been literally on the run from the persecutions. And, and this is the first time they're really able to move about meet freely and and be able to talk about Jesus on such a public and, and grand scale. I think, you know, this must have just been so unique for for the believers and, and the leaders of the church at this time. And I think it's special and I think it's unique because this is the first time in in history that a, you know, here's a big, nice, fun uh, theo- theological word for you, the, you know, ecumenical council assembles, which just means, you know, the, the church worldwide is, is assembling here to decide what do we believe? We who call ourselves Christians, what do we believe about Jesus? I mean, that is the you know front center question that every, every person needs to answer in this world. You know, what Christian or not, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? And from that point, who he is, we begin to understand more and more about what he did, why he did things, how he did things, you know, the whys and, and the questions that we don't always get. But it has to start with who he is. And so um, a little bit of context for you, I think it's very, very helpful, where he talked about the church being about 300 years old at, at this point, first steps beginning. But with that youth comes you know, this, this development. We, we're needing to sort through, okay, I call myself a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, but we, but we don't agree about the nature of Jesus. So, so who's wrong, who's right? You know, and and uh, this is a question I was talking with Kelly before this it not only needed to be answered then, but it needs to be answered now. This is still a question that is absolutely relevant in our churches. Who is Jesus to us? It's a great question to start a lot of conversations with. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's probably a great conversation piece that we can start with uh, a lot of people within the church even. Because according to um, a website called the State of, the- State of Theology, nearly 40% of evangelicals would say that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. And that's the very question that is raised at this council. Who is Jesus? Is he 100% man? Is he 100% God? 
Is he a little bit of a mixture of both? Who is he? You know, because based on who he is, is going to explain the cross and, and what he did on the cross and, and, and really the meaning of, of the resurrection. So there's a lot that, that needs to happen here and really needs to be answered then, but, but also calls for our attention uh, today. So big, important uh, council is called, it's called the Council of Nicaea. You've probably heard of it. And just to work through a little bit about what these 230 men plus church, church leaders plus Constantine uh, decide in, in, in sorting all this out, I think when, when coming to the end of that and seeing you know, what was presented, why it was presented, how did that affect the church, I think has a lot more application even yet for us today. So, uh, with that context, let's, let's get into it. This council is, is being called together by Constantine because there is a division that he is seeing within this movement of Christianity, this growing massive population that is taking over the Roman empire, um, is beginning to fracture. And as the emperors and, and a Roman emperor who, who says, you know, uh, f- f- fractions and division, is worse than war. He's seeing this and saying, Hey, if this is the growing population of belief, then we need to get on the same page here. And, uh, it, it really, the issue centers around one man and a theology that, uh, he didn't create, but he definitely promoted. And his name is Arius. And, and from him, we, we get the term Arianism. Arius was, he was a lot of things. He was uh, born in Alexandria, which is in Egypt today. And if we could boil him down to two kind of major points is one, he was considered hyper-conservative and he was quite the charismatic personality. Uh, when I say hyper-conservative, I, I mean that, you know, he would have died on the hill, which said, God is one. You know, this is what Deuteronomy says. This is what the Shema reminds us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. He was absolutely adamant about that. So when scriptures speak of Jesus being the Son of God and the Word of God and being born in a manger, uh, and and yet we're saying that he is God with the Father, this, this to Arius sounds a lot like polytheism. This sounds a lot like the culture... Of, of the Romans that the church was you know, fleeing from and, and really being persecuted because of, you know, we were saying there's, there's one true God, not many, there's only one true God. Um, and so not wanting the church to be defiled or corrupted by any kind of influence from, from Rome and, and this polytheism, Arius begins to reject the deity of Jesus. You know, he would say that Jesus is a great guy. He's a great teacher. He would even go far so far to say he was more human than you, but he was less than God. So he's kind of like this divine superhero, better than you, but not as good and not on the same page as, as God. And, and he's a student of the word. I mean, he has his Bible open. It's not that he's, you know, out on a, on a limb here, um, creating this from his own mind. It's just when he reads the scriptures and he sees son of, he logically equates that to, you know, I am the son of my father. Uh, I am not him, but I'm, I'm the son of, I I come from him. So there was a time when I was not born. And that's what Aries would say. If Jesus is the son of God, then there must be a time in which Jesus wasn't. Um, you know, this reminds me of a story my wife told me she was sitting on a plane and 
I forget how exactly it all went down, but this family sat on the aisle across from her and, and they had to break up. And so the, the oldest son was sitting next to her. He was like 12 or 13 and uh, Jesus, or Jules just kind of coming off of camp and she, you know, has been talking to kids. And so, you know, he sees her, her reading, um, he sees her reading her Bible and, you know, he's kind of asking questions about what she's reading. And, uh, and, and she mentions, she says, you know, yeah, cause I believe you know, that Jesus is God. And he fires back and says, no, he's the son of God. <laughs> and Jules, true. That, that is true. That is a scriptural statement over 40 times in the new Testament. You know, Jesus says that term, I, you know, he, the son of God will come, the son of man, son of man, the son of God. It's just an, it's just an inaccurate application of that term, you know, and, and we laugh at that now, but you know, in that childlike mind, when he just hears that, he he's a lot like Arius in that time. You know, not a lot of discipleship. There again, the church is young, and so they don't always necessarily have have these nice theology you know, theology books that have laid these terms out. Uh, so Arius, working from his kind of logical mindset, sees son of and and says, no, that must mean that there's multiple gods, and and uh, and we do not believe that. Now he was he was clever he was tricky he was he was good honestly uh, he was a charismatic personality and he knew how to how to spread his theory and uh, what's interesting is is uh, he spread this kind of propaganda that he was uh, believing and wanted to spread throughout the empire and he used song the classic little catchy songs we always hear you know in in commercials so there's lots of things that come to mind, right? For me, it's Folgers, you know, first, you know, what is it? How does, uh, best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup, right? And there's that, there's that little song that, you know, you, you, you think of and you're like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Folgers. And it gets in your head and stays in your head all day. You know, Dairy Queen. I always thought Dairy Queen had the block on, like, I thought Texas was the only one that had Dairy Queen because, you know, Dairy Queen was really smart. They appealed to Texans. Uh, and, there's, and their little song was DQ. That's what I like about Texas. I was like, yeah, I can support DQ because they're all about Texas. You know, there's O'Reilly Auto Parts. Anyway, all these, you know, lots of different um, cities and, and commercials in these different areas. They have these catchy songs. And people make millions of dollars writing these little tiny commercial songs so that when you're in that moment of crisis, you don't know what coffee to buy, you think of Folgers. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. That's the best part of waking up. It's Folgers in my cup. Why not? And you grab it, right? And so cleverly, he begins to spread his theology by these little catchy songs. Probably would have made millions uh, if he was alive today doing this. And many, many were believing this. Apparently, it was being sung all over the marketplaces. One person wrote that you couldn't go into a butcher shop or a public bathhouse without hearing these little theological songs being, being sung by just random people. All of it spreading this theology that Jesus is not God. There's a time when Jesus was just made and, and he, he's, he's just a man a little bit better than, than we are. So as these were spreading all over the, the empire, um, there's a counter to that as, as there should be. And as God is faithful always to bring about, there is a faithful remnant that God is always working with to preserve his bride, the church to be pure, to be true. And, in this rise 
this seven-year kind of rise of this theology, the the other side of that boxing ring, if you will, is is multiple people. But again, one person kind of gets the primary headline, and uh, it's another A name, so it's easy to remember. Arius spreads Arianism, and the and the counter to that, and what we would call the the truth of God's word, is uh, a man named Athanasius, and and he was. Um, he worked under a man named Alexander, so you know he was kind of like a scribe, but but just a brilliant mind, uh, a good debater, and really genuinely loved the Lord Jesus. And for seven years, he was rebutting and he was fighting against this heresy every time he heard it, and he was he was teaching against this. Um, but you know, it's it's not easy. As the world begins to believe a lie, or or even the culture around us begins to to believe a lie, sometimes it feels like you know we're the only one, and that's it's actually what exactly he says of his own life. At one point, he writes in a in a journal, in a diary kind of entry, this phrase in Latin, "Athanasius contra mundum," and just says Athanasius against the world. That's kind of where he's at. Kind of like that Elijah feeling, like, "Oh Lord, am I the only one who you have here?" You know, believing what is, what is true, and uh, it's a that's a weighty place to be, and and, and we'll come back to that. But um, for seven years, Athanasius fights against this every every chance he he can because he sees in this heresy. This isn't just a little musing. This isn't just a little curiosity. Uh, that's that's worth our time. Rather, he saw this as a dagger. Uh, one quote says he saw it as a dagger that threatened the very heart of Christianity, and so for. Just as many years as Arius was spreading his um, his doctrine, um, Athanasius is countering that and and fighting that. He is he is choosing to die on the hill that Jesus is God, and because of that, because he is God, what he did what he did for our salvation holds water. Basically, to summarize his thoughts is this: If Christ were not truly God, then he could not bestow life upon the repentant and free them from sin and death. Yet, this work of salvation is at the very heart of the biblical picture of Christ, and it has anchored the church's life since the beginning. So even, you know, interestingly enough, I just thought about this, even, even Athanasius is using church history as an apologetic. You know, this is, we've always taught that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our salvation, and he cannot be the author of it. If he is not God himself, he, he's not, he cannot be the perfecter of it. If he is not perfect, which he is, you know, his main scriptural basis is second Corinthians five twenty one says in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And he's saying essentially here, only God can reveal and give to us what is of God. You know, John one 18, um, essentially says that Jesus is the one who is revealed the Father. Only God can really reveal what is true of God. This is what John 1 1 speaks of. This is what Hebrew chapter 1, verse 3 speaks of. One I actually wanted to read, which says, And he, as Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and, up, and upholds all things by the power of his word. Philippians 2 6 speaks of the same degree of Jesus' deity that Jesus is the Word of God. And when He is spoken of and seen rightly, purely, and simply through the lens of Scripture, 
then God has everything available to him to change the course of the direction of his people and really change the course of uh, darkness to to light. And so with the teaching from Athanasius fighting against uh, the teaching of, of Arius there in this public um, setting there, I don't know if it's in a building, I don't really know where it is. All we know is that it was guarded by Roman security. Which again, it's just interesting. They go from being, you know, attacked by the Roman by the Romans. Now they're being guarded uh, by the Romans as they try to figure out what do we believe about who Jesus is and, and what he did. Uh, so this council lasts three months, long, grueling months, and and at the end of it, we we get what's called the Nicene Creed, uh, which is later amended and, and and added to at the Council of Constantinople. So. So if you're saying this in your churches, you're, you're, you're saying the Nicene-Constantinople Creed. That was in 381. Uh, but essentially, it affirms the teaching of Athanasius, and it condemns the teaching of Arius as heresy, both of which we, we still hold to be true today. Um, Arianism seen today is Mormonism. Arianism seen today is a little bit like uh, Jehovah's Witness. And so, again, this is not a something that we're done with and when we've we stopped Um and that's not being promoted, but but it's still taking place in our, our world around us. But it is not what we believe as the church, as the people of God. And so God, in an incredible act of faithfulness, and just in his own creativity, I see one of the applications in this. He takes something that is so messed up and broken, such as heresy, and twisted and dark, such as heresy, and from it uses this council, this group of men, and the truth of God's word to create for the first time in history a reliable framework by which we can really look at and say this is what is true and therefore this is not. This is what we believe about Jesus and this is something that we we, we reject. That's only something that God can do, take a heresy and, and produce orthodoxy, <laughs> produce truth by you know that, that well, which we still stand on thousands of years later still said in our churches today still relied upon there it's incredible how god only god can can take that and, and change that and he does it what it's even more you know in, not more but just as incredible to me he, he does it through simply in a sense one man a minority through the remnant of people you know, the majority is chasing after the wide gate that ultimately leads to death, but he is working with this remnant. And and I just wanted to speak to that. You know, if you are listening and you're, and you're feeling like, man, in my workplace or man, in my church or, you know, man, kind of my family, like I, I really, I feel like I'm the only one that seems to still hold God's word as true, as infallible, you know, as in, as inerrant, and and really, I still believe that that Jesus and following Him is is worth all of my life. But I feel like I'm the only one, you know. Or if we believe that we feel like we're the only one that's that's standing up for what is true of what God's word says about gender, or what is true about God's word says about the human life, um, you aren't alone in that. And I, I I even go so far as to say, you know, I think God specifically even has you there alone not to be living from our feelings of of loneliness and and it and it is isolating it it does very much feel lonely and and eaten depressing not easy but i hope you take courage and stand fast 
to remember that God has you there purposefully. He has not forgotten about you. And in fact, I think he is very much uh, working through you to speak against this world. And if God is for you, who can stand against you? And I hope you take uh, encouragement from James 5, which says, You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. God does not need much to create tremendous amounts with. And God took a formless, void world and created what we see around us today. And God can use one individual standing and believing the promises of God of what is true in the face of Jesus and can change a culture, can change a, uh, a family, it, you know, can change a workplace environment. Uh, I don't have the direct quote or something in front of me, but but one sociologist at the University of California, Berkeley, uh, said in, in Japan there was a movement of people that came in the early or sorry late 1800s called Christians and uh, though they were not massive in their amounts he said they their impact that Christians left on Japan has, has really changed the way today that women are treated and um, various different other sociological uh, perspectives are are being seen and, and practiced today he said if a culture has only two percent, then it is enough to change the environment around them, whatever culture that may be, you know? So it's not the majority that is ultimately going to make changes in this world. Ultimately it's God. God's going to allow it and God's going to be acting for it. And he does not need a, need a lot. 2% of the faithful and true God can use to redeem, to restore and to make right his people. So if that's you feeling alone, um, please take heart with Athanasius, you know, and remember him in this time. And in the last and the last uh, application I have in my notes here, I just was thinking about and encouraged by, is that Jesus and his word will always survive the hammer. The hammer of changing cultures, the hammer of changing churches, the hammer of this changing world. He is changeless, and therefore we have hope. He is for you. Nothing can stand against us. It is the unlimited power of God that is at the disposal, and he is for his bride to keep us pure to keep us above reproach, to keep us innocent and blameless in this world. And God is not done uh, with us. Just as much as he's been, he worked in church history, he is doing that in our history today around us right now. So thank you for listening. I know that was a little bit, a little bit of a more of an academic one, but um, just a huge lesson to be learned in history of God's faithfulness. And, and again, something I think we, we can resonate a lot with for us today. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the His Hill podcast today. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Connor Patterson and his church history-inspired devotional. Our annual Thanksgiving conference is coming up real soon. We are full for Thanksgiving lunch and have limited lodging available, but sessions are still open. Please call our office at 830-995-3388 to register for sessions or to inquire about meals and open lodging. 
If you cannot make it to the conference, you can still listen online to our speakers, Peter Reed and Peter Thomas, during Thanksgiving week. Check out our website and Facebook page during the conference for live and recorded sessions. The Fall 2022 newsletter will be sent out real soon. If you would like to sign up to receive the newsletter, please head on over to our website at hishill.org to sign up. Thank you again for tuning in to the His Hill podcast. You've been listening to our host, Kelly Doherty, along with Connor Patterson. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ alumni. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.